Islamic law seven years ago when a soldier, Major Maxwell Mahama, was brutally murdered by some residents of Dintrobwase after a long legal tussle. The Accra High Court today sentenced 12 people, including the former assemblyman of the area, William Barr, to life imprisonment for the involvement in the killing of the late military officer, Maxwell Mahama, with two others acquitted and discharged. Now, Major Mahama was lynched by a mob at Dintrobwase in the central region on the 29th of May 2017. The court, presided over by Justice Mariama Wusu, found William Barr guilty of abetment to crime, murder, and murder, while the 11 others were found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and murder. My colleague, Kenneth JC, who just returned from the courts and is in the studio with me. Kenneth, uh, walk us through what transpired in court today, leading to the final judgment. Well, it, it was, a, was a very emotional uh, moment for them in court. You saw all 14 men wearing white, drabbing white with uh, their trousers there, with their heads bowed down. Uh, when, uh, you know, the judges excused themselves to go make their final judgments, you could see that they sort of knew what was coming, especially when the two were first acquitted and discharged. And uh, it was a unanimous decision by Judge Mariama Owusu after consultation with a seven-member jury who all agreed that all 12 people uh, were involved in the murder of the late Major Maxwell Mahama. So... One of them, the then assemblyman, that is William Barr, was found guilty of abetment to commit crime or to commit murder and murder. And the 11 others were uh, found guilty of conspiracy to murder and murder as well. The attorney general was satisfied with the punishment handed to the 12, was he not? He was. He was satisfied and was also satisfied uh, with the two that were acquitted and discharged and also went on to say that this will serve as a deterrent for people that engage in mob justice. In accordance with due process, yes, um, I do not think the Republic will contest the acquittal of those two persons. Yes, so we are satisfied with it. And we can only express our... Um, sympathies with their family for the late Major Mahama. They have suffered a lot. They've gone through a lot of grief. You saw the mother in court today as well as the brother and other family members. Yes, 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 yes. yes. For me, that's, that's actually the most important lesson to be drawn from this. That indeed, there's no point at all engaging in mob justice. Because clearly, there was a situation where a person was innocent, I mean, was gruesomely murdered under such circumstances. And I believe that the whole nation learned from it and need to put an end to mob justice in Ghana. Um, I was quite appalled to see the videos of Major Mahama on social media. But again, I must also um, congratulate the investigative team as well as the prosecutorial team, which also put together all the necessary evidence, pieces of evidence for the court. And at least we have seen that mob justice does not pay. Ultimately, the piece of justice will catch up with you. And if you think that you can resort to uh, justice by yourself, you yourself will be dealt with in accordance with law. And today in court, we also had a family of late Maxima there. And I understand the mother was also there today. The mother... Oh, after the judgment, you saw tears flowing down her cheeks. She couldn't even put her words together. She had written words on, on her, uh, her mobile phone that she decided to, you know, deliver to the press. But it was tears throughout. Tears, tears, tears. The murder of my son has been determined. And I am thankful to God for the strength to endure over six years of agonizing pain. The twists and turns of events as, as an associated heartache is unspeakable. God knows my plight as a mother whose loving son was snatched away from her in such a gory manner. Family and friends what about the wife of Major Mahama? Uh, the wife was also in court. She did not uh, speak to the media. I mean, very solemn. Uh, I believe she was uh, overtaken with emotions and uh, was very, very silent. Uh, but Evans, the father was also in court today. And then the father was satisfied with the judgment, but called for more of the persons that were seen in that viral video about seven years ago, uh, engaged in the 
murder of uh, uh, Captain Major Mahama. He's calling on the police service to look for those people and prosecute them as well. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Kenneth. We can now speak to a lawyer, Chofilos uh, Kafui Donko. He's the lead counsel for three of the people who are now being given life sentences and he joins us on the phone. Now, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Donko, for your time here on Newsnight. Uh, your clients, as we speak, where are they? Thank you for having me. And good evening to your listeners and viewers. My clients have always been in, in Sawan Media Security Prison. And as I speak to you now, they are still in the Sawan Media Security Prison. Where they're going to spend the rest of their lives. What's your reaction to this judgment? I think that from the discussion I've had with my clients, they are not satisfied with the directions that the judge give to the jury so they have instructed me to appeal the decision on their behalf so in simple terms my clients are not satisfied with the decision of the court and they intend to challenge it on appeal and they believe strongly that they have a good case in this matter so i think that three wise men will decide otherwise in their favor appeal on what grounds Oh, there are a lot of grounds that the judge did not direct the jury as to the law, properly so-called. And this is the grounds on which we are appealing the decision of the court. Did you raise this while the, the trial was on? No, it's only today that the judge directed the jury uh, to come out with a verdict. So it is the direction that the judge gave to the jury we are challenging. Safe to say that previously, there's a big case. That's the viral video. My clients had already appealed the decision of the judge to admit it in evidence. That appeal is still pending. Their statement was also challenged. The judge made a ruling. We have appealed against it. We made submission of no case on behalf of our client. The judge refused it. There's also an appeal pending before the court of appeal so we are going to uh, now file a composite appeal incorporating all this into the notice of appeal but i can tell you that the major one is that the direction that the judge gave to the jury was not proper i will refer you to a particular case which the supreme court has irenti versus the republic irenti versus the republic redefined session uh, 23 of Act 30 says that for you to convict somebody on the charge of conspiracy, you must prove that there was a prior agreement and that prior agreement the, the accused persons agreed that they were going to commit a crime and in this particular case they were going to kill the prosecution never led any evidence to show that there was a prior agreement between the 12 people that had been uh, convicted and sentenced. The question I also ask is that they said all these 14 people met and, and uh, planned, but yet uh, two of them have been acquitted on the charge of conspiracy. So the issues are very germane. So if the judge did not refer them to the case of Irenchi versus the Republic, and that is the new authority, that is the new decision by the Supreme Court on the charge of conspiracy. And it says that the prosecution must of necessity prove that the parties met previously before the commission of the crime. And the judge also did not direct the jury as to the charge of manslaughter, whether they had the intention. They might have committed a uh, murder, but whether that was their intention to commit, the judge never directed the jury as to the charge of manslaughter or whether they had the intention. So the judge should have directed the jury that if you find that they had this intention based on uh, uh, this and that evidence, then you have to reduce the offense of murder to manslaughter. That was not done. So if you put the pieces of evidence together and the appeal we already have on record, I believe that my clients will be successful on appeal. Are I your, believe strongly that the three wise men will rule in our favor. But your clients, they do not deny the fact that they were part of those seen in the video, the viral video, the shocking viral video, in which people were seen lynching Major Muhammad. They were part of that. So the question still comes, where from this video, 
<laughs> was it dotted? Who took the video? We don't know. But if you can answer the question I asked, they don't deny that they were part they deny, of They deny it. They denied that they, they one took of my part clients even did not enter the witness box to speak before he felt that the prosecution had not made a case against him. But we saw them in the videos, and the prosecution led evidence to that effect. I've told you that. I've told you that. Even if they were seen in the video, there's one other point I want to. I what is the contribution of each of these accused persons that led to the murder of the late Major Mahama. The prosecution could not prove that uh, my clients did A, B, C, D. If, for instance, one of my clients was charged only with conspiracy, but the evidence that was led against him was that he removed the, the trousers and then kicked him with his leg. That cannot be uh, an element of conspiracy. Well, well, thank you very much. That's uh, Chofilos Kafui Donko. Uh, he's a lead counsel for three of the people tonight. They have now been uh, sentenced to life imprisonment and have begun their uh, sentences already as he confirmed that they are in, in Sawam cells where they'll, send, they'll spend the rest of their lives. And I want to hear from you. This is a story uh, that uh, really captivated the nation, shocked the nation to its marrow. It's uh, now seen a conclusion that the High Court, he's saying tonight, that he will be appealing uh, the judgment on behalf of his three clients. Let me hear from you, 55 And let's do some politics now, because the Shanti Regional Chairman of the New Patriotic Party, Bernard Enchubwesiako, is no longer in the bad books of Menshia. He has been declared a free man by the Kumasi Traditional Council after he was accused of making derogatory comments about the Asante Heneo Tunfo to the second during the MPP parliamentary vetting process. Now, at the hearing today, Chairman Wuntumi denied all allegations leveled against him by the Kokosohene Nana Kwekudia. Now, my colleague Nana Wache Dankwayadom sat through the proceedings and he joins us via phone right now with more. Nana, thanks for uh, joining us and you stayed through the proceedings. Let's talk about the delegation that accompanied Chairman Wuntumi for this hearing. Well, Evans, in the first place, we had the national chairman of the New Patriotic Party, Stephen Intim. Um, alongside Majority Leader Osei Chiman Sabonsu, Minister for Chieftaincy and Religious Affairs, Stephen Asamoah Boateng, and Henry Nana Boache, Justin Frimponko, the was the General Secretary of the New Patriotic Party, um, as well as um, regional and national executives, other government appointees, joined Chairman Wuntumi, the uh, Shanti Regional NPP Chairman, to the Kumasi Traditional Council um, for his hearing today. So these are the delegation that led Chairman to me to the Mesha Palace. A high delegation indeed. We got a bit more specifics about the accusations against Chairman me Tell us more. Well, Evans, the allegations leveled against Chairman me um, was brought up by the Koko Sohini Nana Kwekudia, who says that during the NPP vetting process for parliamentary aspirants, um, Chairman Wuntumi, um at the process of vetting the Minishia South um, parliamentary aspirants, then Dr. Matthew Koko Prempe, um, Chairman Wuntumi did make some derogatory uh, remarks against the Asantino Tung for stage two. He did say that Chairman Wuntumi clearly and emphatically stated that he owns his own kingdom in the Ashanti region. Um, however, um, having his own kingdom means no king, in fact, not even the Asantini can tell him what to do. And so this statement made by Chairman Wuntumi, uh, this alleged statement made by Chairman Wuntumi is what led to um, the Kumasi Traditional Council dragging him before them to answer questions as to indeed if it did happen or he did make such statements and also if there could be any sanctions or punishment for him whatsoever. And what was Wuntumi's response? Well, Wuntumi denied all the allegations leveled against him by Nanako Kudria, the Koko Sohini. Well, he says that they are not the clear reflection of what transpired during the NPP vetting process. So we can take a listen to Chairman Wotone. Chairman, I said, Ben Walker Fabi, and I'm a city 
I was about joining my flight abroad when my general secretary called to inform me about the allegations. I told him the accusations are false and malicious. How can I make derogatory remarks against the Tunfu? This is not possible. So what was the verdict of the traditional council? Well, Bafo Owusu Amankwetia, who is the Bansu Mahini, um, represented the Asantehini during the um, sitting of the Kumasi Traditional Council. Well, he did say that um, Chairman Wunsumi should be mindful of his remarks and also take note of some um, some actions um, as regional chairman. Well, he asked him to be very mindful when he's in public and also did set him free of any allegations leveled against him. You must be careful with your remarks as original chairman. Your party belongs to the Ashanti region, so everybody is looking up to you. In Ashanti region, if you don't talk well, we will drag you before us to face our judgment. Be very careful. Everything about your party comes from the region, meaning we have suffered for the party. Nanano must also advise themselves not to engage in anything political. We are referees, and so we must abstain ourselves from anything politics. If Koko Sohini had not been there, I doubt we would be talking about this issue here. I mean, did the traditional council impose any penalty? Well, there was no penalty imposed on Chairman Wunsumi, but he was made to go see the Asante Hima right after the Kumasi Traditional Council um, set him free um, alongside Koko Soini. So there were no charges whatsoever leveled against Chairman Wunsumi. The Chief Tensor Minister was there. You spoke to him. What was his response to all this? Well, the Chief Tensor Minister, Stephen Asamabwate, um, acknowledged what transpired during the process. And he was very, very much happy with the fact that um, Bansi Mahine Bafo Auso Amangwesia admonished the chiefs to desist from anything political. Well, he says the NPP and the Shanti region are one because looking at the terrain, they have been like that since. And so they would not want anything political to come into their relationship. That today has been, uh, it's a happy day for me, as you know, uh, MPP and Ashanti region, um, we go together. Um, uh, and it's not just Ashanti region, wherever we find ourselves as MPP people, please be respectful to each other, uh, have peace and harmony within our ranks, because as you, right, you, you heard, uh, it happened within a party setup, but then it's dragged our, our authorities into it, traditional authorities into it. So we must ourselves have a way to deal with our own internal matters and not bring others on, on into it. I've just been joined now by the national organizer of the MPP, Henry Nanabwachi. Thank you, Henry, for your time here on Newsnight. Thank you very much, Ivan. I believe you were at the Menshaw Palace tonight, today. Yes. Happy with the outcome? Um, yes, um, I think that it was a very fruitful uh, meeting or engagement today. What the position of our respected chiefs was that they were not even going to call any witness. What they decided to do was to listen to 
the chief of Cocos of Nanakokodia and also listen to our original chairman, Chairman Wuntumi. And afterwards, they decided that they are not going to call any witnesses. This is a matter that they can uh, just advise. And so that, and then because Chairman Wuntumi denied the allegation, Cocos uh, is saying that those allegations were uh, really made at the event. So, the fact is that we they should not drag these matters and then they give some uh, from one chief to the other this book and then subsequently said but then there was another issue where they mentioned that chairman uh, to me invoked some cases and for that one they had to refer to the appropriate quarters um practitioner so that it can be handled so that is what we did afterwards they referred us to um, the chiefs who are responsible for such custom and such traditional matters when it involves the invocation of cases and all of that. And quite apart from that, everything was removed and then we thanked the chiefs. Let me also state that we have a very cordial, very cordial relationship with our respected chiefs and we will never on any day deliberately um, decide to say anything that will be um, unsavory or disparaging to our chiefs, not at all. And our two boys are revered and respected team, and there's no way we'd want to have any issues. And one we is known for showing such respect to the Utufo. In fact, in his speech, in his gestures, it is always, it's all over him. He is known to be showing all of that in his words, his conduct. Um, so it was a very good engagement today and we are happy with the outcome he was let off with a caution the party itself though have you taken this up with one to me and what is what has been your own admonition well i think what happened today is um advice to all of us not only chairman one to me but to everybody and as i said uh, some Allegations were leveled against Yamaun to me, and those allegations Yamaun to me said, yeah, it's, it's not true. So it's someone's word against his word. That is why the chief said, you know what, we should not drag these matters. We have important events ahead of us, so we will not drag these matters. But then, I mean, they had to give advice. Even if you said it, and you are saying you didn't say it, obviously, maybe something happened. That is why we are, we are, we are, we have been dragged before us. So, you know what, just be mindful of your words. This is where you are from. But I'm also happy that a lot of the chiefs also um, gave testimonies as to how Chema to conduct himself, especially when it comes to Manchia, and how he's very, very respected. He himself he is um, a royal from the Pontansi too. So he will never do anything to disrespect the king. So you've mended the bridge with the with the chiefs and with the Mesha Palace, but what about the potential damage this may have had among ordinary residents in the Ashanti region, who of course hold Otunfo in in high esteem? There uh, is it, beyond the Mesha Palace. What's the plan? Because this was said, it was it's been it's been drummed uh, since last week, the week before. People have heard it; it's been discussed quite thoroughly. Many may have formed views, especially in the year when you're approaching an election. Is a party taking a view? to deal with this beyond Mensha in the way to get the, I guess, residents there. You are an indigent too, uh, to get people to appreciate what has happened today. Uh, you know, I think today's proceedings will put um, every, you know, um, lingering matter to an end. I mean, if you thought that Chema me can say such a thing, I mean, today from the proceedings, he cannot say it. And he said that he would not even do so. And, for that matter, I don't think that there, there, there are any issues. And in fact, apart from that, there is even an important um, occasion like the 150th anniversary of the Sagranti War, which will be celebrated next week. Yeah, it's to me that his network is available for free publicity, free uh, advertisement for this. I mean, he is a son of the soil. And he has always been part of us. We've gone to um, visit our revered 
respected, respected King several times, and he's been there. I mean, recently when Otunfo had his last Akosi day last year, we were there. And it is always shown in his speech, in his conduct, that he has great reverence for the stew, for the golden stew. So, um, for me, today's opportunity is quite clear. And then it was, it was um, the media, everybody was there. It was telecast live. And, uh, people took it, um, streamed it live. So, for me, I think that the, the, the matter is now put to rest. That for the new Patriotic Party, we have such a healthy uh, relationship with the Mensha Palace. And we are not going to do anything whatsoever to um, bring that relationship down. Thank you very much. That's a national organizer of the NPP there, Henry Nana Bwache. I still have with me my colleague, Nana Bwache, Dan Kwayadom. Nana, uh, me isn't the only individual who was summoned. Lawyer Morris Ampa was also summoned. Was he there? Well, Morris Ampa was not before the Kumasi Traditional Council today. You would remember that um, in a previous meeting, the General Secretary of the NPP, Justin Simpon Kodia, um, when being asked about Maurice Ampal, told Bank Mahini and the Commercial Traditional Council that the party does not know um, Maurice Ampal. And so if Maurice Ampal is to appear before the Commercial Traditional Council, he would have to do it alone without the party interfering. And so today, the party came alone with Chairman Wun to be their very own without lawyer Maurice Ampal. Thank you very much, Nana. Still live your news tonight on Joy 99.7 FM. Now, tonight, the Commissioner of the Ghana Revenue Authority, Reverend Dr. Amisha Dayawusu Amwa, has admitted he has been working without a contract. The GRA boss came under scrutiny at the Public Accounts Committee sitting uh, today when a member of the committee, Sam George, raised concerns over his continued stay in office despite attaining the compulsory 60 years retirement age two years ago. Responding to the question, despite objections by some majority members, the GRA board said he was given the green light to continue his service pending ratification by the Finance Ministry. Um, I just wanted to find out from Commissioner General. Um, sir, at what, which year did you attain the age of 60? CJ, I'm waiting for a response. What year did you attain the age of 60? Isn't this personal, Chairman? What? I, I think it's, it's too personal. No, no. no. The, it and Chairman, is, is my colleague assuming? Is he assuming that? I, have, I, haven't, I haven't called you. I haven't called you. Oh. I haven't called you. OPK, OPK, I haven't called you. Leave that one to me to, 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 to no, direct. OMC is a, it's not a personal question, please. Honorable members, honorable members, we have our laws in this country that govern us. If the Commissioner General attained the age of 60, he can be given a contract. If the member is asking a question about his age, he should just respond and said, I'm 60, but I'm on contract. Finish. Thank what you very much, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair, I attend 62 October 2023. Do you have a running contract? The, the chairman, as far as I know, the, the letter was sent to the board for me to continue working until it is sorted out with the Ministry of Finance and the government and the appointing authority. And I know that is still ongoing. All right. That, 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 that is all. That is all. That is all. It means that you yourself, you don't know whether you have a contract have been signed or not so that's sufficient well, my colleague James Aveji uh, sat through the proceedings today joins me now uh, we know this question by Sam George led to sharp disagreements between the two sides on the committee leading to a suspension what happened exactly Evan so the majority side led by uh, the deputy ranking Davis Opoku uh, Mensah thinks that this question is out of order and so was praying the speaker uh, the chairman to actually not allow the question to be asked including some of uh, his other members on the committee but some George insisted with the minority they insisted that no this issue is a a matter of public interest because it has been in the media. We know that uh, the uh, occupied
Unified Ghana had written to the president uh, alerting him about this some years back when he actually attained 60 years. And so there needed to be some finality brought to the issue. Then in the middle of that, the uh, public address system, all of the speakers in the committee sitting room uh, decided not to function any longer. Okay, they so tried they all everything. went silent. Exactly. The microphones went silent. And so the uh, chairman functioned, exactly, apparently. had to suspend the sitting for about 45 minutes when they came back before this answer was drawn from the uh, uh, boss of the, the Ghana Revenue Authority. Well, the GRA also indicated today that it is chasing some companies who have evaded tax. Who are these companies? So one is uh, the produce buying company together with some other company. And so uh, the issue was that in the Auditor General's report of 2022, they indicated that some 2,552 2, companies' uh, books have been audited, and it indicated that they owe some 350 million Ghana cities. And so the GRA needed to retrieve those money. Uh, the GRA indicated that they've retrieved some 60 million Ghana cities, left with 275 million Ghana cities. And out of that, the PBC owed some 203. 9 million Ghana city. He indicates that they're trying to get this money, but the PBC actually dragged them to court. Their argument is that uh, this money is on holiday, and so they do not think that they needed to pay tax on holiday, and so the matter is before the court. Then you remember the defunct uh, financial institutions also came into the picture. The GRA said they they owe them some 91 million Ghana cities and some other 19 million Ghana cities withholding tax. They actually took tax on the uh, income of workers but did not remit that to the GRA. All of that amounting to some 170 million Ghana cities. Then there's, uh, the committee chair, James Kluchi-Abaji, raised a concern about the fact that they have had a position to believe that this banking sector cleanup did the nation more harm than good, but the deputy uh, uh, finance minister, Abina Osasari, actually disagreed with him, leading to some sort of banter between the two. Let's, let's take a listen. Mr. Chairman, um, there are two things here. Uh, the fact that government was able to save depositors' money. You can answer my question, then you you add up with your. Yeah, that's that's no, that, that's uh, because you see that as a cost. But um, um, for the depositors who had their monies in there, they needed to get their money, so government had to intervene. In everything that we do here, it comes with a cost. Okay. I want to bring in Sam George, the man who asked the questions uh, regarding the GRA commissioner's contract. Joins us on the line right now, Mr. George. Thanks for your time here on Newsnight. Happy with the responses you got today. Good evening, Evan, and good evening to our listeners. Well, I'm worried as a Ghanaian lawmaker and worried that so much illegality is going on. We live in a country that is literally a crime scene from one scandal to another. The GRA Commissioner General, Reverend Amishadai, has been at post for more than two years without a contract. Now, let me give a bit of a backdrop to this. The president, through the finance minister, informed parliament that his government will no longer be giving contracts to public servants who turned 60 unless they had scarce and in-demand skill sets. In fact, the predecessor to Ms. Reverend Dr. Amisha Dai was one Mr. Kofi Inti. He had been given a four-year contract as Commissioner General of GRA. Two and a half years into his tenure, he turned 60. The president terminated his appointment, even with one and a half years of his contract left to go, and appointed Reverend Dr. Amishadai as Commissioner General. So the question we are asking is what special skill set does Reverend Dr. Amishadai bring to the table? that when he turned 60 in October 2021, two years and three months on, he is still at post one. Even if he has a special skill set that we can't find in the GRA or in Ghana, the Public Services Commission regulation demands that he be given a contract. 
Because as we speak today, Reverend Dr. Mishadai has no legal basis to sign or enter into any agreement on behalf of the GRA because he has no legal locus or standing in there. He has no contract. He has no, there, there is no terms of engagement. So I wonder how the Commissioner General, uh, the, the Controller and Accountant General has been paying him for over two years. And this is not the first time this matter is being raised. Professor Jampo wrote to the president, and Joy FM carried it on my Joy Online on the, on the 9th of February, 2023, almost a year ago. Occupy Ghana has written to the president on the matter. So you sit back and you ask yourself, a man who has no legal basis as GRA Commissioner General, has actually gone ahead to sign a $100 million contract with SML and several other contracts when he has no legal standing. I mean, and this is supposed to be our top revenue agency. Well, Parliament has authority authority to do something about this. Will you do something about this and how? I intend to write officially to the president tomorrow. And when Parliament reconvenes on Tuesday... I intend to bring this to the notice of Mr. Speaker and ask for a referral immediately to the Finance Committee and pray the Speaker that Parliament should no longer grant audience to, to Mr. Amishadai because he's an imposter. When he comes before Parliament as Controller General, he's actually an imposter. The hearing today before the Public Accounts Committee where we heard from the GRA Commissioner himself, uh, Commissioner Reverend Dr. Mishadai Owusu Amwa, who admitted he has been working without a contract. My colleague, George Afi, is here with the latest from the world of business. Hello, George. Hi, Ivan. And uh, coming up in business, Bank of Ghana targets end-of-year inflation rate for about 13% after the cautious cut in the policy rate today. And Chief Executive of MTN Ghana, Salma Dadivo, justifies recent hikes in data and other services, insisting the current environment makes it difficult not to share the cost with consumers. The Business News on Newsnight is brought to you by MTN Business. Welcome to the new world of business. Kingdom Books and Stationery, Sinter's Tanks and Pepsodent, Charcoal and Herbal. I is hoping that inflation rate will end at a lower band of 13% by the end of this year. Governor Ernest Addison discloses when he addressed the media after meeting to cut the policy rate by 100 basis points to hit 29%. There is more in this report. Ghana has moved to reduce its policy rate. This is the first time since July 2023 that the Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of Ghana has moved to reduce its policy rate by 100 basis points. Addressing journalists at the press conference in Accra today, Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, gave reasons why it had to go down by this margin. Now, if you look at the ECF program, it was expected that growth would slow. If you can't have this very tight fiscal consolidation, very tight monetary policy, and not have growth slow down. In fact, we are seeing that growth has performed better than originally projected. On inflation rate outlook, this is what the Bank of Ghana governor had to say. Instead of a point target for the year, this is the range for 2024. Uh, at the middle of that range, uh, I think it's about what? 15, eh? so you have 15 plus or minus 2 percent. The Bank of Ghana Governor Dr. Ernest Addison insists Ghana's program with the IMF is on track, rejecting arguments that more cuts are needed to help check inflation. The original forecast for growth was 1.5 percent, so we are doing better than we had originally envisaged. And if you look at the path of growth, you would see that. We fully recovered to around 6-7% in 2026. So this is really the outlook for growth. If you take the ECF program, which I believe you would find in the staff report that has been published, you will see what the path for growth is. In the banking sector, the governor was satisfied with development in that space, insisting all banks are in a strong position 
to recapitalize. Seem to be the banks have mobilized a lot of deposits. They are very liquid. There are not many uh, avenues for investing their resources, so they are all putting it back on the auction. Dr. Ernest Addison also disclosed that based on the fresh inflows from the IMF, Ghana's international reserves has not crossed the over $6 billion mark. Meanwhile, banking consultant Anoto Champon says the action by the Bank of Ghana was in the right direction. However, says it could take about two months for its impact to be felt on the market. Transmission rate would have gone through and you would have seen interest rate reflect accordingly. Now, if I am servicing a loan right now for you, what, what are you going to tell me that I also should look at in two months' time for my something should be done about that or even when it comes to the cost of credit also something could be done in the next two months uh, I'm, I'm afraid so you have to be cautious in that you shouldn't expect that immediately your interest rates will go down by a proportionate one percent it will take a little time and i'm expecting that before two and a half months time it would have gone down Nano to a champion is a banking consultant. So what has been the response of the business community? Let's hear from the chief executive of the Ghana National Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Magbedu Abwaje. Our expectation actually was that there's going to be a much deeper cut. It's like the first time that we experienced a reduction in policy rates. Uh, for over two years now. So it's a right signal is, is being sent. However, this community, we don't think that a 1% reduction in policy rate is going to cause a significant reduction in lending rate. So businesses, of course, are not going to benefit that much from this uh, reduction. A much bigger reduction, of course, would have reduced the lending rate. And that is what we were all looking for. Magbedua Bwaji is chief executive of the Ghana National Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Now, chief executive of MTN Ghana, Salam Adadivo, has maintained that has justified the recent hikes in data and other services. Telecom's giant last year announced some significant jumping cost of its services attributing to the current economic environment. But speaking at the media engagement as it brings the five-year service at MTN Ghana to an end, he said looking at the current situation, it was fair to share the cost with consumers. When everything around you has changed, it's impossible to stay the same, mm. right? And we've come last two years or so, everything around us economically has changed. And to expect that the mm. telecoms company will stay the same may be too far an expectation. So for us, what we've said is, how do we minimize the burden on customers as a result of these external forces? And you'd see that even where we've had price increases, the price increases have been at a fraction of some of the economic indicators that have led to some of these things. And that is Chief Executive of MTN Ghana, Selom Adadivo, speaking at an engagement with some media uh, personalities as he brings his five-year service here in Ghana to as he moves to the group to serve a new position. Now, financial challenges facing produce buying company may have dipped in this because Joy Business is learning that some banks have moved to freeze the account of the company over debt orders coming after a consortium of banks moved last week to see some assets as you also work in to sell the headquarters if the company fails to settle its debts. Two other stories in chief executive of Standard Chartered Wealth Management, Dr. Seto Kwashiga is urging Ghanaians to take advantage of their diversified portfolio that they offer to their clients. According to her, there's a need for people not to just focus on the local bonds, but look at the other investment opportunities as well. She spoke to Joy Business when the outfit met some of their investors. Undercapitalized banks will at a minimum inject one-third of the capital required annually for each of the three years ending in Apologies uh, for uh, that uh, challenge there and that's all uh, for business on Newsnight. Thank you very much, George. You're still live here on Newsnight on Joy 99.7 FM. Uh, we can do some sports now, and as you can uh, see, possibly if you love the AFCON, uh, there's a match currently happening, and uh, we're going to get uh, the very latest on that. Uh, we also still reeling uh, from our exit. 
whilst others enjoy the rest of the tournament. Ms. Bao. Yes, Evans. Well, the Afghan is still underway. And today, um, some round of system fixtures are coming up. One already underway. Capo Verde versus Mauritania. And at the moment, uh, it's Capo Verde who are leading by one goal to nil. And um, it just looks like they will advance to the quarterfinals. To be the second time they are making it to the quarterfinals. The last time they were there, they were knocked out by Ghana in 2013. So they'll be hoping to advance. But later at 8 p.m., there's a big one between hosts and Rain in champions Cote d'Ivoire versus Senegal at 8pm and the winner of that game will be facing Capo Verde in the quarterfinal so some really exciting fixtures uh, 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 to, to look forward to in the AFCON but in Ghana it has emerged that the Ministry of Youth and Sports and the Ghana Football Association budgeted some 8.5 million dollars for the AFCON now this was revealed by um, Member of Parliament for Kethu North uh, Kujito Ablakwa in a statement that he put out on his Facebook page. My colleague Daniel Kranti has been studying it and has the details in this report. The North Tongue MP Samuel Kujito Ablakwa claims an amount of $8.5 million was set aside for the Black Stars' participation in the continent's flagship tournament. According to him, the figure excludes the $1.5 million spent during the Afghan qualifiers. Yeah, so that's uh, that's it. So even uh, Ghana, if we ended up winning the tournament, is expected to get $7 million. But it has emerged that the budget for the AFCON was $8.5 million. So even if we had won the AFCON, we were going to make a loss of $1.5 million. And that has raised questions. And it has put the ministry under intense pressure for them to disclose the expenses that, the gov that they made in this AFCON, especially knowing that Ghana exited from the group stages. So that's it for uh, sports for you, events. Thank you, Bisbao. Now, the Minority and Parliament's Agreed Committee is calling for a special financing arrangement to revive the country's biggest indigenous cocoa buying company, PBC. Joe News nine months ago reported on the woes of the company and how its market share had declined from 30.88% to that is in 2016 to 8% in 2021. Now, last week, the consortium of banks confiscated some assets of the produce buying company over non-payment of debt running into more than 300 million CDs. Here are excerpts of our hotline documentary, PBC Troubles. 21, a whistleblower and senior staff of the produce buying company petitioned the presidency over the possible bankruptcy of the state-owned venture. He raised alarm about the downward trend of PBC's market shares. In his petition to the president, he made a prediction about the market share of the company. He stated that if PBC market share should hit a single digit, it will spell doom for the state-owned company. Exception of our new management, I realized our fortunes, our fortunes per market share were falling. And as I indicated earlier, uh, it affected our 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 remunerations. You know something? For the past six years, we have never had even one percent salary increment. Well, the Public Accounts Committee hearing today, the Commissioner in Charge of Domestic Tax and Revenue Division, Edward Apenting uh, Jamra, revealed that the produce buying company also owes some two hundred and three point nine million cities in tax i want to uh, bring in the, the deputy ranking member on the on the agreed uh, committee in parliament he joins us right now godfred Sedu jusau uh godfred so really how do we solve this pbc conundrum Ivan, thank you for your question I'm, I'm happy that you are going straight to solutions and not diagnosing the problem again um f frankly we just need some capital inspection that's that's it because because they've defaulted, the, which is a consequence of the management arrangement that is put in place by Cocoa Board, uh, which is a subsidiary, actually, of, uh, I mean, by PBC, which is a subsidiary of Cocoa Board. And so it's a bigger problem of the Cocoa Board conversation, which I have had with you severally. Pure mismanagement, pure misapplication of finances. Pure demotivation of workers and employees, and that is where we have come. We have brought ourselves to. The finance minister, if you recall, 
finance minister's solution to the problems of this state's own enterprises was that he was going to create a debt at the Ministry of Finance. We spoke about this some four months ago. What has happened to the DEX? What has it done? How come PBC has still defaulted in this, in this debt and, and, and liabilities to the extent that a court will rule that these banks can sell its assets? So we need to just and agree that we'll prioritize the PBC conversation and by extending Cocoa World Cocoa Financing uh, is a solution that you're proposing, and this is definitely a conversation that needs to be expanded. Mr. Jisal, thank you very much. And he is the deputy ranking on the Agri Committee in Parliament, and this is something that we'll keep a close eye on, considering how important cocoa is to our, our economy, which is, as you know, struggling already. Uh, so listen to News Night on Joy 99.7. FM. And let's talk about something that relates to the job that I do here and my colleagues also do. A powerful alliance has been created in defense of press freedom as the Ghana Journalists Association and the Media Foundation for West Africa jointly take a stand against recent attacks on journalists. Now, President Albert Junfour and Executive Secretary Suleiman Abraima are not mincing words. They, are, they have issued a blunt warning to those responsible for assaulting journalists, making it clear that consequences await. This comes on the heels of unprovoked attacks on two journalists during the New Patriotic Party's parliamentary primaries. The GJA has already initiated action directing media outlets to Blackout Fisheries Minister Mavis Hawakumsing after her tags assaulted Cape FM's David Kobina. Now, as the association mobilizes to address another assault involving City News journalist Mohammed Nuhu Alabira, uh, the MP uh, Farouk Lou Muhammad Qus of slapping Alabira and allowing his tax to attack him has denied the incident. But listen to the GJA president uh, stating the position of the association. So I don't think that we are we are we are prepared, we are intimidated, we are afraid, we are worried. <coughs> we are ever dead and prepared any politician who wants to attack journalists in this country. And I'll turn my head. Now, talking about evidence, I think we have said this over and over. What what is he saying? Is he trying to say that uh, she, she doesn't. She doesn't know the people who assaulted our our colleague. Is that what she's trying to say? That's what we have. We have enough evidence. Open evidence, and and she's aware. I, I believe. I just want to believe that whatever commentary she made uh, was just a rhetoric or maybe political statement. Uh, but when it comes to evidence, first of all, the very person, the guy, the reported police officer, who said him who signaled our police to meet him halfway and who sustained him with a picture on the phone. We have a video of this police officer, of this reporter, let me put it, but we haven't confirmed uh, the officer yet. But we have the video of this reporter police officer following our footage on the uh, official run as a minister of history. So what is this? We have, we have, we have two, two close bars, two close places. Who have been with her, as we are told, for over years, over mm. 20 years. And that there is the uh, GJA president, uh, Albert Jufour, talking about that incident that happened during the NPP parliamentary primary. Uh, well, as you know, this is the job that we do, and journalism isn't a crime. And that's why we formed the coalition to fight assault on journalists. And that's it for News Night tonight. And up next is Nanan Sakho. He's coming up with a very interesting conversation, the yes and no's of Ghanaian culture. Join him on That's My Opinion.